Law Focus Podcast. Law Focus with Millicent Duwedi and Tsepo Mohabi. Tuesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. on PowerFM. Good evening to you, our listener, on this wonderful Tuesday, the 16th of February. 16th of February is always an auspicious occasion in my life. Um, welcome to Law Focus on VFM 88.1. It's our third show of the year, and it's just gone 7 p.m. Uh, my name is Tapamapi, and as you know, I'm never alone. I'm with Millicent Ndueni. She's hosting the show with me, as always. Thank you for joining us, and we hope after this show, you'll be all clued up about what your rights are and what they aren't. Yesterday, the legal fraternity witnessed something which was a little bit of a disaster, and it happened between the former President Jacob Zuma and the Deputy Chief Justice uh, uh, Raymond Zondo, and it was at the uh, Commission to State Capture. And here Jacob Zuma once again was adamant that he will not avail himself uh, and appear before the Estate Capture Commission. Now just to remind you that every Tuesday between 7 and 8 o'clock in the evening we go in-depth into legal into, into legal topics by having discussions with insightful and interesting guests and today will be no exception. Uh, Law Focus aims to deal with interesting and uh, and related topics uh, which are always connected with the law. Thank you, Tapo. And as you know, we are always indeed here to inform you, you, about your legal rights as well as to explore various topics that are legally related. Tonight, we're going to be discussing vaccines and whether your employer is allowed to force you as an employee to get vaccinated for COVID-19. I wonder if you have started thinking about that already. I guess this is one of the sensitive topics actually that we need to tackle because there are possibilities that many of us may come across such cases in the future. We will be in conversation with Kosatin Harting, region to dissect the workers' rights, as well as a labor law expert in terms of our legal rights. And then, of course, yesterday was back to school for many, many uh, children throughout the country. And we also saw a very interesting scene that took place yesterday. And the criticism was, you know, like wildfire on social media. This was after a video circulated whereby the Minister of Basic Education, met. Angie Muchecha. She made remarks while addressing pupils at the now Napier Secondary School in Twanim. So she said, um, you know, she was heard saying the government was prioritizing education because only through education can they, as the department, deal with challenges facing communities. And she continues to add that an educated man won't rape. Of course, um, this did cause quite a stir with the children even, uh, you know, calling her to order, um, you know, questioning her authority on that statement. Um, so, yeah, you can also remember that you are able to contribute to the conversation by calling us. We are available on dial 011-717-9881. You can also reach Tapo and I on our various social media platforms and engage with us on Twitter, 
at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. And on Facebook, we are just VowFM. You can also find us on Spotify and also access our podcast by visiting bits.journalism.co.za forward slash law. Or you may visit the Vits Radio Academy page on IONO. Okay, now we're going to start with the first feature of the show. And that, of course, is the top legal stories of the week. Here are our legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week. Legal hotspots. And in our first story, uh, it starts right here at home, the University of the Witwatersrand. We have the Public Protector's Office upholding Witsus University to readmit, rather not to readmit four medical students who failed to obtain minimum marks which would allow them to progress to the next year of study. IOL has reported that the Office of the Public Protector said that it had no competency to interfere with the university's statutory arrangements and any attempt to do so would amount to rewriting the legislation, something that they may not do. This comes after a woman complained to the Public Protector's Office in 2019 that Witz had unfairly excluded her son and three other major other students from readmission to the Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery programs. The woman took on the case on behalf of her son as well as three other students. She claimed that the students had been prejudiced by the implementation of the standard setting tool by the university. She further stated that according to the Wits University's Faculty of Health Sciences Handbook, the pass mark for the program MBBCH degree was 60% from the third year of study. The Public Protector's Office, however, said investigations revealed the Cohen 60 system applied to all medical students as implemented by the university, with some students passing and others failing the exam. So that didn't go well for her. Well, an important decision, even if it was adverse uh, for the people involved, it it really is an important decision, that one, because it does reaffirm um, that the university can regulate itself. Now, keeping it local again, uh, right here in Parktown with the, with the things going on at the, at the State Capture C- uh, Commission. Now, the State Capture Commission says that the former president, Jacob Zuma, has no legal basis to defy the Concord order. And this is by not appearing before the commission and answering for the alleged rampant corruption that took place during his presidency. According to uh, Sowetan Live, this comes after the evidence leader, advocate Paul Pistorius, and supported by the uh, chairperson's, uh, the commission's chairperson, the Deputy Justice uh, Raymond Zondo, and this followed Jacob Zuma's no-show yesterday. Zuma was scheduled to testify from Monday until Friday, and he announced on Monday morning, on the day of the hearing, uh, Monday morning that he won't be appearing as he's challenging the decision by Zondo last year not to recuse himself from the commission. If you remember last year, Jacob Zuma made an application for Zondo to recuse himself uh, and Zondo then refused that application. However, the publication reports that Pistorius and Jacob Zuma's reasoning... My apologies. However, 
the publication reports that Pistorius has said that Jacob Zuma's reasoning wouldn't hold ground as the Constitutional Court ordered him to come before the commissioning knowing about his application against Zondo. So it'll be an interesting one to see how that plays out. Many people are now moving or suggesting uh, that a criminal complaint of contempt of court be laid. We'll see how that goes. No focus. Point, point of information. Welcome back. you with me, Tapa Mahapi, and of course, I'm always with the lovely Millicent Ndueni. And today, what we are going to be discussing, as we indicated earlier, we're going to be discussing whether companies can force their employees to get vaccinated for COVID-19. It's just gone 12 minutes past nine, and thank you for uh, for tuning into our, uh, to the show today. It has been reported that South Africa will be receiving the Johnson & Johnson batch for the COVID-19 vaccine today. If it hasn't already arrived, last I checked, it was still still expected. And many employee, employers have uh, now probably been asking themselves questions about whether it is legally permissible for them to require employees to be vaccinated. According to an article by Bowman's, uh, the South African employment legislation doesn't actually sp- specifically regulate when an employer may require their worker to undergo a medical treatment. However, this is allegedly in contrast to medical testing, uh, which is also which is separately governed by Section 7 of the Employment Equity Act of 1998. And I guess this brings into question, uh, you know, what medical testing is. It can be defined actually here as a test or an inquiry to determine whether an employee has a medical condition. However, consent would be needed for such. And when it comes to consent, according to the National Health Act of 2003, the effect of The effect, rather, to the rights of consenting makes it clear that a health service, which includes medical treatment, may not be provided to a user. So that would be the employer without the users, and that would be the employee or the worker's consent. And to discuss more on the rights of an employee... We are joined this evening by Mr. Amos Munyela, and he is the chairperson of COSATU in the Gauteng region. We will chat with him on what rights employees have in terms of being forced to get vaccinated for COVID-19 by their employers. Welcome, Dr. Munyela, to Law Focus. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Good evening uh, to yourself and your listeners. Yeah, and we're, we're actually wondering, how do we pronounce your name? Is it Amos? Is it Amos? Whichever way you want. All right, as long as you're happy. Okay, let's start with this one. Kosatsu does have a stance on COVID-19, the vaccination, we'd like to believe. Can you elaborate on what that stance is? No, well, um, the stance of the Federation on, 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 the, on the vaccine is that... Uh, um, we, we encourage all all South Africans and all workers to to vaccinate uh, and forget about the myths uh, surrounding uh, the vaccine, as it has been said uh, uh, that you know you 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 can die, you can develop other diseases. So, so the federation says no. Let's not go to to that road. Uh, vaccination is going to help the country. Uh, to stabilize um, the, the the infections and protect South Africans from from getting getting COVID nineteen. Thus, 
are contributing to uh, to, to to the economy because uh, COVID-19 has ravaged the economy, uh, and you you don't want a country that uh, wakes up uh, after 30 days and say we are going to a lockdown, so we are shutting down the economy uh, time and again. So we, we believe that the vaccine uh, it's the remedy to so many. Uh, closure of the economy uh, by by government by government to manage the spread uh, spread of coronavirus. We we also making uh, uh, history uh, uh, getting into history in relation to vaccines. There have been vaccines, many vaccines uh, in the world and in the country where we, where people had to undergo uh, those processes. There are vaccines that children are still taking even today to avoid measles, polio, uh, yellow fever, and a number of those things. So there's never been. Uh, such uh, a doubt uh, in society uh, regarding uh, vaccines uh, and why this now and why why this now when so many people are dying on a daily basis and there is no cure for it the only thing the only hope that we are having as the people in the world and the people in South Africa is the vaccine so that has always been the position of the federation okay. uh, in, in as far as the vaccine is concerned and and are you, do you perhaps know um, as a union whether your members um, are interested and would like to be vaccinated. Um, do you have that information? And if so, how did you accumulate it? Well, let me start by by, by clarifying. We, we are not a union. We are a federation of unions. And uh, we've got 13, uh, 13 unions uh, under under us. Uh, we, we, as the federation, we put a policy position and a perspective in relation to policies, and our affiliates will then come into this. And I can safely indicate to you uh, that the majority of our members, uh, as members of society too, uh, have welcomed the, the vaccine. And then we, we, we did a survey. So normally we will do surveys through general members meeting for now you know that you cannot convene a meeting of more than uh, uh, 50 people in, in one room so but then we still continue to, to to check with our members through uh, meetings we continue to check with our members uh, through uh, social media platforms that we've created uh, within our unions, because all of those unions will have uh, a platform to communicate with our uh, old members. And we are convinced that, you know, there, there are those who are still, you know, skeptical, but in the majority of uh, members and workers uh, are ready for the vaccine, uh, for the vaccine. So, so we, we can be able to give you proof to that effect. This morning, the General Secretary of NAO was speaking to an ENCA outlining the processes that they've undertaken uh, to, 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 to then assist our people and our members uh, to be able to go and vaccinate. So, so indeed, our members, uh, uh, members of the Federation, by virtue of being members of affiliates, uh, have been consulted on the thing. They've raised their views. Not all the time that you're going to get the consensus on some of the things that those who are skeptical and they're major, but they're not in the majority. And those who are willing to to, to vaccinate. Mr. Mm, Munyan, mm, mm. has has the federation adopted a document yet as a as a COVID nineteen policy? Um, uh, uh, made that, those recommendations to its affiliates um, as an actual policy, and what does the policy entail? You know, for the workers on the ground, if no, one uh, has been adopted. Okay, no, no, no. We 
like I said, the Federation will put a principle out there and mm. unions will then uh, come up with, the, uh, with their way of dealing with issues. Remember, members of the Federation are employees, so even the unions themselves will not necessarily have a policy for members of the ground, but they will only have policies for employees of, of, of the unions. We then rely on the messaging that we are sending to employers through the policies that they are having uh, on COVID-19. Uh, on COVID-19. So we're only responsible for employees of the union, and then we look into the policies of uh, uh, employers and check as to whether they are in compliance uh, with the legislation, with the uh, protocols and guidelines, and then we take it from there. So we don't necessarily have that. We just have a, a principle uh, uh, position that so, we are putting that so is what should happen. So I, I will, would I be correct in saying at the moment you're, 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 your main role is guidance as well as the t- kind of giving direction as it stands right now? Yes, that, that, that precisely that. You remember also that some of our unions uh, made a study or went to, to, to hospitals uh, to check as to whether uh, this, uh, uh, the, the guidelines are followed, the okay. policies are being implemented, and then came out with a report that in some areas these are not uh, implemented, in some areas are implemented. Hence, there was a number of meetings with the affiliates of uh, uh, the union, uh, with the Minister of, uh, of, of Health, Dr. Zulim King. All right. Now, if you just joined us, we're in conversation with Amos Monella, and he's the chairperson of the of Kosatu in Gauteng. We're discussing with him whether employees have rights in terms of being forced to get vaccinated for COVID-19 by their employers, although it could be against some of their beliefs. It's just gone 21 minutes past nine, and I think it's an important conversation as we look forward to the arrival of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine tonight. It's something that every single person working in this country has to deal with at some stage. Now, President Ramaphosa has previously promised the country that no one will be forced to vaccinate with COVID-19. However, most workers might find themselves being in a being placed between a rock and a hard place, basically being forced to do so. Uh, what's the union? Uh, what does the federations uh, take on that? And do you think that the president was perhaps a little bit um, naive in saying that nobody will be forced when on the ground the reality may be different? No, no. Um, I think uh, we want to agree with the with the president mm. of uh, of the country. You remember that our country is a constitutional democracy, mm. and everybody has got the right to to everything. Mm. No, those rights have got some limitations. Mm. So the president was very clear uh, that uh, a vaccine. I you know he wishes that they all will vaccinate uh, because you know the vaccine through what they call ahead. Uh, so that community and then it is called ahead so that the, the, the virus cannot even affect the, 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 uh, the community. Mm. But then he emphasized that, you know, uh, no one will be forced uh, to, to vaccinate. And we'll find it also very difficult uh, to see employers who will be forcing workers to take a vaccine. And if they mm. don't take a vaccine, they are threatened uh, with dismissal. So mm. we are ready to deal with those kind of things. Right. But then all what we are saying is that, you see, we need to communicate properly with everyone else so that everyone, everybody in the country is supposed to vaccinate, must vaccinate. Right. And I think that's interesting how you, you know, you you make it very clear that should people be forced, um, you as a federation will then be ready to tackle employers who might dismiss other people who, you know, for not vaccinating. So, you know, final question for you. What do you then think is the best way moving forward for employers 
to tackle this COVID-19 vaccination matter at the workplace when the time arrives? I did not hear your question entirely. So, okay. Um, What do you think, what's your advice basically? What's the best strategy moving forward that you think employers um, should use to tackle this COVID-19 vaccination matter considering that, you know, there's, like you were saying earlier, on many differences of opinion and comfort about the vaccine? Okay. No, no. I, I think this is this is an easy thing to do. I think employers uh, have established what we call the steering committees or the OHS committees uh, that are dealing with the uh, COVID nineteen. And the first thing that the employers should do is to be open uh, is to be open in terms of uh, vaccinating because the vaccine is not going to be rolled out by employers. It's going to be rolled out by the state. So employers must constantly communicate with employees the importance uh, of vaccinating and as well as the federation and its affiliates should be able to transcend that message uh, to, 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 to workers that, you know, it, it will be important to, to vaccinate. Remember, there are, there are myths surrounding this thing, the issue of uh, this, uh, this uh, expired dose uh, of Azra, whatever it may be called, uh, and all of those things. So all of us owe to, to ourselves to communicate properly with employees to come to to have a collaboration with employers when we deal with this issue because i can tell you it is only one uh, employer which is the state that is going to to vaccinate no one else uh, will be vaccinating so employers would have to take uh, uh we have to follow uh, the plan of uh, of the state led by the department of uh, of health for vaccination where are we going to vaccinate and all of those things so employers might not play that bigger role in terms of vaccina- vaccination. The message out there should be the message from the Department of Health or the, the, from the state uh, and the message from stakeholders, you know, unions, businesses, uh, that, uh, this is where you to get the uh, vaccines. Uh, I will find it very difficult where the employers will be given the vaccines uh, to run their own, uh, their own vaccination uh, processes when we are told that the plan is for the state to, to run the, the process. If it, uh, uh, if it, uh, um, outsources to add, outsource it to other institutions. It will be like pharmaceutical companies which have raised their hand uh, that are available to use that to, 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 to vaccinate. But not necessarily each and every employer will be having uh, a right to vaccinate. So communication is very key in as far as this is concerned. All right. Okay. I think that's all we have time for tonight with um, you, Dr. Munyala. We'd like to thank you so much for your input and we thank you for making yourself available for us this evening. Okay, moving forward, it has just gone 26 minutes after 7. After this young ad break that we are going to have, we will move on to our second part of the show. We will speak to a legal expert on this matter. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Welcome back to the show. You are on Vow FM 88.1. And if you have just joined us, of course, it's Millicent Ndiweni and Tepo Mohapi. We are discussing the issue of vac- vaccinations in the workplace and how South Africa is going to be handling that. Obviously, we don't know going forward. We're just looking at some of you know the possibilities um, considering the COVID-19 vaccination 27 minutes after seven this evening some of us might not be comfortable with this uh due to various health religious and cultural beliefs you sitting there listening to the show might be one of those people we should also keep in mind though where the employer is coming from 
a safe working environment for employees is very important for them. And the Occupational Health and Safety Act um, requires an employer to provide and maintain a safe working environment for anyone who might have access to its premises. So it's a bit of a catch-22. Yeah, it could be. Because with all that being said, an employer is permitted and, and oftentimes required to prevent a person who might have COVID-19 symptoms from accessing the building. Uh, an employer's obligation, it also needs to be balanced uh, with the rights of the employees. When I talk about rights, I'm referring to freedom of conscience, religion, belief, those types of rights. Certain beliefs can be accommodated unless they may result in harm to other employees. Now, if companies establish policies which regulate mandatory vaccination for COVID-19, they can compromise some things and perhaps they could come into conflict uh, with the law. Earlier on, we spoke to Kosatu's uh, chairperson in the Gauteng region, who is Mr. Amos Munyela, and now we're going to be joined by Owe Tumbambo. She's a senior associate at Faskin Law Firm, and she's here to give us her legal opinion on the matter. Welcome to Law Focus, Owe. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Uh, what are the guidelines which exist for employers to shape their vaccine program? Well, we say vaccine, but their COVID-19 program going forward now that the vaccine has arrived. Okay. So, I mean, COVID being such an unprecedented um, pandemic and how it's played out, there are currently no legal guidelines or regulations for employers relating to the COVID-19 program that they should implement in the workplace, particularly in relation um, to vaccines. Mm. And considering the lack of any law regulating vaccines, shaping a vaccine program or a testing program, um, so before the vaccinations came into the picture, employers have been asking, can we test people before they come to work? Mm. And that is something that is more regulated. There are provisions for medical testing Mm. um, and other forms of testing, but the vaccinations are uh, a bit of a a different issue, which um, is not regulated. And (laughs) so for vaccines, employers would have to actually look at various sources of law to actually balance out all of the competing rights um, before determining what's the correct program in their particular workplace mm-hmm. because there, there will not be at the moment one correct answer for all workplaces. Mm-hmm. Each workplace will have a different risk assessment and the steps that they can take will differ. Um, and what's legally permissible or justifiable will then um, come from those various sources. And obviously... Those sources would be the Constitution, um, the Occupational Health and Safety Act, the Employment Equity Act, um, and possibly the National Health Act and the Basic Conditions of Employment Act. So you would have to look at all the competing rights under those sources of law to determine what is the correct path for your workplace and the extent to which you can go. Um, in that program that you want to implement. I suppose that's an important point, that uh, a mine is not the same as an office block, it's not the same as a restaurant setting. So, yeah, I mean, I I didn't actually think of that, but that's a very good, important point that you raise. Now, if I am one of those people, 
I'm a, you know, I have a mine or I have a restaurant or <laughs> I, I work in an office plug. And I say, but hang on, I really need my business to be healthy in every sense of the word. I really want my employees to be vaccinated. Is there a possibility that this can be mandatory? <laughs> So the short answer to that, Jepo, is that I think that an employer will have a great deal of difficulty demonstrating that a mandatory vaccine is legally justifiable in the workplace as the law currently stands. So because of all the competing rights and the fact that, you know, government um, has not made it mandatory by any uh, terms of any law and there's obviously no indication from the various speeches that they intend on doing so. There's been a big focus on them to educate and to try and get consent from people. Um, so I think that employers will have difficulty if we look at the various sources of law that I mentioned e- earlier. We look at the Constitution, we all know that that guarantees the right to bodily integrity. And yes. this right is about you having security and control over your body as an individual in this mm. country. And although rights in the Constitution are not absolute, if you are going to restrict them, you know, the means have to be um, as least restrictive as possible to achieve whatever your purpose is as an employer. So obviously as an employer, you are trying to keep your workplace safe. And that duty you have in terms of the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which places a duty on employers to provide and maintain um, a safe working environment for employees and obviously anyone else accessing the workplace, um, such as clients and suppliers. This duty that you have under the Occupational Health and Safety Act as an employer, you must um, implement as far as is reasonably practicable. And again, that many legal terms, that's also a loaded term. Yeah. Um, what is reasonable? <laughs> <laughs> yes, what's reasonably practicable yes. for an employer to do? You know, this also requires an employer to look at various things such as, um, you know, how, what is the scope of the risk? Um, what is the severity of the risk? And again, that's not going to be the same in every workplace. Yeah. So those are the sort of factors you have to consider when you have to implement your duty under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. And again, we have the National Health Act, which under that act, for an employee or any person really um, to be medically treated, and a vaccine would definitely count as um, medical treatment, this can only be given to a person with their consent, and consent must be informed and it must be voluntary, which is very important when you're thinking about implementing uh, a mandatory vaccine program in the workplace. Because if you coerce employees, um, if their job are, jobs are at threat, for example, then you cannot truly say that that is voluntary and you're putting yourself up for lots of liability claims as an employer if you do that. So okay. Okay. essentially, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's sorry. <laughs> but I was saying. I mean, essentially, what all of this law and all of this legal jargon means is that an employer would have to show that there are no less restrictive means for them to meet their duties under the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and that they can only do this by limiting your right to bodily integrity and by taking away your right to consent. Okay. And you know that's. And, and it's very intrusive and invasive. And 
I think balancing those rights out would also mean that um, the employer has to justify this in their specific workplace. Again, as I said, there's no one... Um, it's, it's not It's not going to fit it's everywhere different. to say it's possible. Um, and I think if this, is, this would be difficult for employers because practically speaking, um, we don't know much about the vaccine. That's the first thing. So we don't know what, how much that's going to impact um, transmission rates, for example. So if I am an employee and I say I'm still willing to wear a mask, I'm still willing to sanitize and social distance, um, but I don't want to be vaccinated. As an employer, you have to prove to me that your vaccination is going to be so much more effective than what I'm proposing. And I think because we don't know all of that, um, because the vaccine is so invasive in, by its nature, um, it will be very difficult for employers to justify having a mandatory vaccination policy in the workplace. Okay, that was a very extensive answer. I've been wanting to come in there because I wanted to ask you some questions based on the things that you were <laughs> that you were responding to. Um, yeah. You know, earlier on when you when you started your answer, you, you before you even got to the part about it being reasonable, you spoke about um, you know um, the fact that you know, it's going to be difficult for, for them to make the vaccine mandatory um, with the yeah. law as it is. And I was wondering, in your legal opinion, um, how possible, what's the likelihood do you think it is for them, the laws that need to be changed might be changed to ensure that um, mandatory vaccination is enforced? Because the herd community that's being looked for, um, it's quite a large number. I think it's quite a large number. and. Yeah. I don't know how many people have, you know, even though the media, we've heard very positive reports about people being excited. Um, maybe mm-hmm. on the ground when we speak to different people, sometimes that's not what we might hear. So what do you think um, is the possibility of legislation quickly changing to ensure um, mandatory vaccination? So Melissa, I think that our government is also bound by the constitution. And I think, you know, I mean, they signed NDAs. We don't know what the NDAs say and what level of information government has. But because of the lack of information and the lack of tests to actually determine how effective vaccines are, what do they mean? Because, I mean, we're hearing things like, um, you know, the vaccines will actually just give you less severe symptoms. So you're still going to get COVID. So because yeah. we, all of those things we're not sure about, for you to vaccinate me when you cannot prove that vaccinating a person will make um, the workplace or society much safer and that the risk of exposure is that much less as opposed to if someone chooses not to get a vaccine um, but uh, wear a mask and sanitize and all of those things. So you have to show that that is the least restrictive with the best outcome. And I don't know right now that we can demonstrate that you will have better outcomes in a manner um, that's so much more invasive by vaccinating me as opposed to me saying, well, I'm actually just going to do the things that I've been doing. Um, Obviously, employers can argue that, 
you know what, it's so much harder for us to actually oversee and monitor whether people are complying. But as an employee, I can say I'm willing to take the risk. If I don't comply with that, then I'm, I'm committing a misconduct and you can dismiss me, but I don't want to take the vaccine. So I think um, even if the government does implement um, some laws, those rules, I have no doubt be tested constitutionally. And I think there will be so much more research that needs to be done um, before that I think that can be constitutionally justifiable at this point to vaccinate people when the outcomes are not clear. How much less, you know, how much more of a percentage will it be if we vaccinate versus us just wearing our masks and sanitizing? You know, so those are things that they need to prove and demonstrate first before they can actually justify this. Because for now, you've got a vaccine, you want to inject all of us, but we don't know um, what this means for us. What does it mean for exposure? What does it mean for transmission? And I think that even the government will have to cross that hurdle. Um, Of course, they can always um, implement laws, but I think those laws will be challenged constitutionally in our vibrant constitutional democracy. All right. Thank you, Um I'm going to uh, take a short break. And in the, before I do that, please just think about answering this one based on what you had said. Do you then believe that it's possible for employers to fire employees who refuse to vaccinate? And you will give us this answer as soon as we come back after this short break. Thank you. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome back to Law Focus with Millicent Indiweni and Tapo Mohapi. Remember that if you have any questions or any comments that you would like to add to the show, we are available. Uh, call us on 011-717-9881. Check us out on Twitter at VowFM using the hashtag Law Focus. Or on Facebook, we are uh, just VowFM. And those of you who are outside our footprint, you can actually stream us live on VowFM.co.zero and listen to our conversation on what to do if it happens that you're forced by your employer to vaccinate, although it could be against your beliefs or for whatever other personal reasons you may have. And we're now in conversation with Oetsu Mbambo. She is a senior associate at Foskin Law, uh, Law Firm, and she is providing us with her legal opinion on the matters at 17 minutes to 8 this evening uh welcome back Owetsu, and you were going to give us that answer about being fired for refusing to vaccinate is that a possibility in south africa yes um so it is a possibility but i definitely think that an employer will have a difficult time proving that that dismissal is fair um, because to justify such a dismissal, um, the employer would first have to prove um, that one, um, other measures which I've mentioned before, such as the mask, social distancing, etc., are less effective. And I think that we don't have enough information for employers to be able to prove that. And also employers would have to prove that they can only meet their duties under the Occupational Health and Safety Act um, if you vaccinate. And I don't think that that is something that, again, uh, employers will easily be able to prove. Um, If you, for example, can work remotely, again, those are alternatives that can um, accommodate employees outside of getting a vaccination. So 
if I say I want to wear a mask or I can work from home and perform all my duties as effectively, I think an employer will have a difficult time um, proving that my dismissal is fair under those circumstances because those are less restrictive means of accommodating me and they exist. Um, and I think only in the situation where an employer can prove that maybe over time if you do get more information and the science can back up um, the requirement to mandate the vaccine and you are not able to perform your duties remotely as an employee, then an employer may consider um, dismissing an employee for operational requirements, um, also known as retrenchment. But I don't think at this stage that an employer can justify dismissal. Um, okay. on the basis of new season. Okay, and, and I need to allow Tepo to chirp in here, but uh, for me, my last question then would then uh, be religious or conscientious grounds. Um, will that be, you know, one of the grounds that employees can use to object a vaccine? Yes, um, definitely. Um, your religious uh, beliefs, general beliefs, political beliefs, all of those are protected under the Employment Equity Act, under the Labor Relations Act, under the Constitution. So again, um, you are able to to um, sorry, to um, object on the basis of that. Um, and again, the employer would have to prove that there's no other means um, of them achieving their rights, which I, I think are, is, is not easy for employers to do. And you are entitled um, in the workplace to refuse on the basis of religion um, or politics or any other belief that you have. Mm. Okay. okay. Mm. Thank you. I mean, we do live in a, in a democratic society, but we also live in a very unequal one. And so mm -hmm. my question would revolve around the, the practical reality that we live in in South Africa. Many workers, particularly um, um, unskilled labor or semi-skilled labor in this country mm. tends to be black. Uh, yeah. But that doesn't often translate into the management position. And uh, the higher up you go, the paler it seems to get. Mm -hmm. That's just yeah. the reality of living in South Africa. Yeah. Now, what if, a, if an employer then decides to implement a policy which would ostensibly put say for example factory workers on the floor having one particular policy and then uh, management having a different policy now an impression could be created from that in South Africa that could become a real problem where uh, workers would say but hang on we are being discriminated against it's yeah. clear that there's a bias in favor of management who is perhaps uh, white or colored or whatever some of them of course mm. would be black and um, in in that instance what would your advice be um, perhaps to both sides to say how can we avoid having this or what to do if it happens? Yes. Um, so I think that it's quite important for us to realize that um, we have a right not to be unfairly discriminated in the workplace. Um, and we have the listed grounds such as race, etc. But in a situation where as an employee you allege that there is some sort of discrimination. Um, if it's not on a listed ground, then you have 
um, to show that there has been a differentiation of some sort and that differentiation is unfair. Mm. If it is on grounds such as race, and I think in that type of situation, that in the example that you're citing, it may be a bit difficult to say it is because of race, because I, I foresee an employer quite simply saying that, well, it's actually not race, it is just the fact that you are on the floor. And these employees at the top are, are um, you know, they work in offices, mm, there's more mm. space between them, etc. Mm. So I, I think in that, in that type of situation, I don't think an employer will have difficulty um, showing or demonstrating that actually this is a fair policy. It's not done on any um, malicious uh, basis, but it's mm. actually just done on the fact that for operational reasons, there is more risk in this area and less risk, um, less risk in this area. Um, and, and, and I think that that would be challenging for employees to prove just mm. on, on that basis alone, because the, the, the test for unfair discrimination is you have to prove um, that, you know, there has been um, unfair or irrational treatment. And I don't think if an employer can show that there's a ration now behind what they're doing, that mm. it will amount to discrimination. Mm. But again, um, people, that's only in the instance, again, where you can force employees to take um, a vaccine right. in the workplace, that's right, which yeah. I think um, you would have to do, do at a stretch once the science is clear. And again, the employees, if they come into contact with other members of management, for example, they can raise that, well, Mr. X doesn't work with us full time, but he is exposed to us quite a lot. Mm. So those are the things that they would have um, have to demonstrate. But where it is applied to a specific area in the workplace where it can be shown that there's a rationale, it's highly unlikely that it would amount to um, unfair discrimination mm. as envisioned under the Employment Equity Act. So I, so um, I- so, um, sorry. So, I suppose the most important part is to communicate that um, the rationale behind yes. the the if there's a variation between one set of employees and another set of employees, <laughs> that it must be communicated very clearly. Yes. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Without a doubt, I think this would be a term and condition of employment. So, mm-hmm. to implement it, you would need to communicate um, and and speak to employees in any event if you were trying to get. Um, some sort of vaccine program mm. going, you have to educate, you have to inform, you have to consult with employees. It's not something that I think an employer um, can just implement, even if uh, we had a law that was allowing it, because you're yeah. now introducing a new term and condition to mm. the employment relationship. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Owit. <laughs> You've shed light on many, many a dark corners that exist in our minds. And we really enjoy talking to you tonight. We really appreciate you coming. I hope you have a good evening further. Thank you so much, P. and Melissa. Thank you. Good Thank night. you. Yeah, this really is a hot topic, is it not? And I guess it's going to have to be tackled in different angles because without an established law that requires all workers to be vaccinated, um, employers might need to trade very carefully when considering mandatory vaccination policies, when you listen to everything that Oetu was saying, um, I think she's given a lot of basis even for, um, you know, those who might be uncomfortable, although she does give both sides um, of the coin. For me, I think that um, voluntary vaccination will be 
the best uh, source to see that many South Africans have been excited and wanting to be vaccinated. You know, I think that will be the best bet to see how many people um, are ready um, to to give that herd immunity that the president has been talking about for some time now. Um, Obviously, there are competing rights, potential legal risks. And yeah, um, by the way, Law Focus listener, today's Tepo's birthday. Happy birthday, Tepo. Oh, thank um, you. He refuses to tell us how old he is turning. Yes. You must <laughs> guess, you, you'll have to guess it from my voice. Oh my gosh, that's going to be difficult. But have a beautiful, I don't know, the remaining um, hours that are left. And we wish you many, many more. And we wish you the best for this new year. Thank you very much. year, as Th- we said. Thank you very much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Our pleasure um, as the Law Focus community. And yes, we have come to the end of the show. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it and you received a lot of information that might help you going forward. Remember, you can check it out on our podcast as well. So uh, make sure that you you, you do um, visit our our Spotify uh, page, Iono, as well as our Viz Journalism page. Um, it has gone seven, it's going seven minutes to eight. And uh, remember, after this, we have the uh, hip-hop show coming up on Vive M 88.1. Thank you for joining us tonight. And from our guests, Amos Munyela and Owetsu Mbambo, we appreciate your insights to our production team. We've got Rifilwe Megwa. We've got Kukwano Sirame on the technical side. Thank you for putting the show together for us. From myself, Millicent Ndiweni, and from Tepo Mohapi. It's always a, spl- a pleasure being with you every Tuesday evening. We hope uh, to see you again next week, same place, um, this evening. Good night. Good night. Lawful Focus on 88.1 Point of Information. Law Focus Podcast.